Good morning. <laughs> My name's Leah Thompson. I've been at Austin Oak Church for almost 10 years, and I get to serve and worship on the hospitality team. Today, I'm going to read Acts 2, 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread in the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Thanks, Leah. Well, good morning, church. Trust you are doing well. Name is Brandon Ziski, um, the one of the pastors here at Austin Oaks Church. Um, we're in the series called Build Your Church. And as we were um, planning this out, you know, you get to these passages like Acts 2, 42 through 47, and you're like, man, how many times can you preach this passage? You're like, or even like, how do you preach this passage? It's pretty straightforward. It's kind of like, how do you preach Easter and Christmas? You know, it's like Jesus is born. He rose from the dead. There you go. All that kind of good stuff. However, this week as I was prepping through and praying through this message, I feel like the Lord like opened up my eyes and my heart to lean into something very specific that will resonate with our hearts and our souls today in our culture. And so I want to go back to a time when I was a college pastor. And I remember learning about a statistic when I was a college pastor that kind of befuddled me. Now, generally speaking, 80% of all college students change their major at least once. That statistic did not freak me out. How many of you who went to college changed your major at least once? Okay. That's about 80%. So around 2003, 2005, there was the, the number that came out. It's like at that time, the average frequency of changing a major was about like three. So like an average college student would change a major about three times. And by the time I was done being a college pastor about like 2014, that number jumped up to like, like six times. And it just seemed to be like increasing more and more and more. And like, so there's these folks that study generational shifts and trends. And that's what they do for a living. They just want to see what's happening in culture and all this kind of stuff. And so, like, these researchers were looking at millennials and Gen Z and younger, and they started to realize that this emerging generation, as they're being born and raised into a culture of a lot of options, okay? And it's like, we've always had options, but these options are sitting kind of like at their, their doorstep, like, you know, literally not their doorstep, in the palm of their hand with these devices, like these death traps called phones, And yes, that's my daughter I'm staring at, okay? You know, and it's just like this, this concept, oh, she's so mad at me right now, it's great. It's just like, you know, you just swipe, you know, like, nah, I don't like to swipe, nah, I don't like to swipe. Nah. It's just like you're flipping through options so fast. And so, like, they started to, like, label these generations as, like, the generation that's non-committal. And I think it's really unfair. And so they, did, like, came up with this phrase that they're, they're, they have commitment phobia, which I thought was rather fascinating. And this is going to date me a little bit, but like even at that time, I remember as a college student, like hearing these little phrases that were popular hashtags then, not so much now. And I promise you, like these words aren't swear words, YOLO and FOMO. Like I remember hearing YOLO and I'm like, was that a candy? 
you know, like Rolo. They're like, no, you only live once. I'm like, yeah, you're right, you do, you know. But like FOMO was like fear of missing out. Like those aren't like trendy statements anymore because that's actually just part of the culture. Like there's this fear of like, I'm going to miss out. I got to have this. I gotta, so there's like this high level of uncertainty and a fear of like commitment to certain things. Now to be fair, every generation today has really redefined what commitment really looks like. From commitment to like values and principles, but like commitment to what we give ourselves in terms of allegiance because we live in this like hyper consumeristic world where we've grown in patience. Like how many of you have chosen or switched brands because they don't serve you as quickly or as efficiently as they once did? You're like, ah, too slow, I'm gonna go over here. Right? It's like this how we're like, we're just not real committed to things. Not only that, like these days, like corporate consultants are like on the increase because corporations are struggling with employee retention to the degree that they actually labeled a group of people that are called job hoppers. Like they jump from job to job, like maybe one year they'll stay, two years, three years at most, but you don't hear it anymore like when someone say, I've worked now for this place my whole life. Like that is just abnormal. Commitment issues has been redefined. And the reality is, this is the same thing that the church deals with. There are significant commitment issues within the church to the degree, and I've heard this multiple times, that when pastors preach on commitment or they preach on like, hey, get involved, serve, join a small group, whatever it is, people tend to push back to the same level they push back when a pastor would preach on giving. Like, don't tell me what to do with my time. It used to be, how dare you talk about money, but now it's like money and time. You know, and that's kind of like a startling reality that we face in our culture. And so when we look at church, we got to be asking ourselves some serious questions. Now, some quick little like statistics about church pre-COVID world. Like church attendance was a little bit on the decline nationally speaking. And so it's like when they looked at that, they would, how many Sundays per month will we consider an average church attender? And that number at one point used to be like three times a month, like you'd be an average attender. Now, like before COVID, anybody remember pre-COVID days, you know, like 2019, it was like 1.6 or 1.4 Sundays a month would, would, would consider someone to be a regular attender at church. Nowadays, they did the same research and they discovered that it's actually one or less Sundays per month that would, people would be considered an average church attender. That tells me a lot of things about what's happening in our culture. I think we need to come to grips like, do we see church as a consumer commodity? Do we see it on the same level as Netflix or Disney Plus or a convenience store that serves me at my convenience? Like, I could just stay home. I don't have to go to church. I could just sit on my couch, have some worship. In fact, if I don't even like the message or the series they're in, I'm going to go find a church that is and stream and watch that. I fear that we have really bought into hook, line, and sinker more than ever that we see church as something that you do, something that you go to instead of church as something that you are. Like we got to be very mindful that when we look at the church, we got to understand that our commitment to the church is intimately connected to our commitment to Jesus. 
Church isn't a consumer commodity. It isn't just something that you just watch. It isn't just something that you choose. If you follow Jesus, we're going to discover, because he built his church, that because of Jesus, that our commitment to the local church is actually a reflection of our commitment to Jesus. And there's no other way to look at it. Scripture won't allow you to do so. And so we really got to wrestle with some things. And I know, I know, I know. Oh my goodness, I know I'm going to get some sort of email from this. Like when I talk about like, you know, attending church, there are some people like even in COVID, like you still, they still have to choose to watch church service online at home because they're part of a vulnerable population. Totally get that. We support that and we're with you. But we're also very aware, and I just want to call it out because I am your pastor, and I do love you, and you're in this room, so it may not apply to you because you're in this room, but for those of you who are watching who consciously choose, nah, I'm not going to go to church, I'll watch it later, or I just don't want to, but yet they still choose to go and do their own things at their own times everywhere else. This is a time when we as a church need to do a heart check because our commitment to the local church is, friends, I'm telling you, it is a reflection of our commitment to Jesus. Our commitment, like, but this, this one's so important. Our commitment to the local church is to be the very means of witness to a world out there that needs to see and believe in Jesus. If we aren't devoted to Jesus and to each other, the world out there will not see Jesus. And what we're going to discover in Acts right now, this morning, is this mass church growth. In one moment, the church goes from 120 people to 3,120 people. What do they do? And what did the Holy Spirit do inside of them? And how did God use that to build his church? And so I don't agree with the researchers today that say we have a commitment issue. We don't have a commitment issue. Let's just be honest. We're committed people. We're committed to what we want to be committed to. What we have is a devotion issue, a misplaced love issue, a misunderstanding of the church issue. Because church is not something you attend. It's something that you are, specifically if you believe in Jesus. It's not, it is not meant to be a consumer good. Church is not meant to be used like Netflix. It's not meant to be used like Disney's, Disney Plus or like a convenience store. It's okay to go look and listen to other sermons 100%. Go build your faith that way. But you need to be devoted and committed to a local church body. The church is who we are because of Jesus. So much so, so much so that if you get rid of the church, you get rid of Jesus. We see this clearly in the New Testament. There's this theology that's formed called the body of Christ theology where Jesus is the head and all those who profess faith in Jesus are the body, where the body is in submission to the head and the head looks out the best for the body. We're united in this very uncommon and beautiful, powerful way through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our devotion to the church is unlike anything else in this world. And that's why 
I need you to hear that your commitment to the local church is a reflection to your commitment to Jesus. So Acts 1 through 2, 41, now how we get to this moment, Jesus in his resurrected form is talking to the 120 disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God and says, hey, I'm going to go, but I want you to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit because when he comes, then you'll have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He goes up, they wait. They're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They're praying. We don't know how long they're praying, but they're finally praying. And all of a sudden, the wind just comes rushing in. The room is shaking. I mean, it is just like chaos. It is so disruptive that somehow over 3,000 people come to this location because something significant is happening. These people show up, and they see these little flames jumping around on the people's heads. What was that like? Amazing. Is that why they were bald? Super lame joke. Can't believe that just came out of my mouth. Never thought of that ever before in my life. Seriously. So, like, all of this is happening, and Peter, in this moment, is just like, this is an opportunity. Peter is now empowered through the Holy Spirit. He preaches a powerful sermon, making it crystal clear that who they thought Jesus was isn't who he thought who he is. He is both Christ and the Lord, and he's making sure they understand that it's their sin, it's our sin that is responsible for taking Jesus to the cross, but yet the irony is it's there on the cross where our sin and his love collide, and all of a sudden we're forgiven, and all of a sudden he's like, no, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And then we get to the spot in verse 37, they're cut to the heart. They're like, oh my goodness. I can't deny the resurrection. We can't deny Jesus. We know he was a real guy. All these types of things are right there. They're cut to the heart. What shall we do? Peter says, repent, change the way you see Jesus, change your life, get baptized. In other words, like surrender and align yourselves to the lordship of Christ in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They do that. They confess their sins. They receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And also Peter continues in verse 40, with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this generation. 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. That indicates to me that there was more than 3,000 people there. That's a lot of people. That's a large crowd. Talk about disrupting the temple. Like, I remember the first time I was in Israel sitting outside of the temple and just looking around, and I was thinking about this. It's like, was it even possible to baptize that many people in a day? And if you actually ever go there, you'll see all of these little baptism pools all over the place. And it was used for, like, just cleansing rituals before they go into the temple. They call them mikvahs, and it's all over the place. And you know they could do that. It was very clear. And how disruptive would it have been? Like, what is all of this happening? Why are everybody doing this? Because of Jesus. So what happens now? What, what, what do these people do? Like, what do the apostles do? They don't have a blueprint of how to do this. There's no follow-up team. There's no next-step team. There's no connect card. They don't go online to find the church and look at their statement of belief and where they are and what their service times are. What do they do? 
How do they now live following Jesus? And that's the point I want us to see is that this is now the birth of the church. And what we see them doing is the very thing that the Holy Spirit will always, always, always want to cause within the church. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see it. And they devoted themselves. And I'm going to stop right there because we're going to camp on that word devoted. The Holy Spirit stirred up a holy devotion in the church. That can only happen by God. Our commitment to the local church is a reflection of our commitment to Jesus. These folks were captivated by the gospel, by the love of Christ. They surrendered to the rulership of Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. And so now this is what's stirring inside of them. And what we're going to see is how their devotion showcased Jesus and why that's important for us today. When the church responds to the Holy Spirit, when the church submits to the Holy Spirit, a holy devotion gets cultivated inside of her. This is what the Holy Spirit will always want to produce in the church. This word devoted is so beautiful. This word devoted simply means they gave themselves to. Devoted themselves. They gave themselves to. It's almost like they just like handed over their own rights to this. In fact, this word is so loaded that when Paul was trying to teach the churches in Ephesus what this dynamic looks like between Jesus and the church, the only illustration that he could think of that would sort of get close to it was marriage. In Ephesians 5, he starts talking to wives, like wives, you know, submit yourselves to the husbands, just like, you know, like we submit to the church because Jesus is the head. And husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave her, himself up for her. It's like he's talking about all of this dynamic, but it's not necessarily being used for marriage because he ends up saying later on in that passage, he's like, and this is a profound mystery. What I'm talking to you is about Jesus in the church. It's a covenant. It's like Jesus has devoted himself to us. And because of that, we ought to devote ourselves back to him for better or worse till life do us part. Like that's the concept of the church. It's not really meant to be an option for us. If you love Jesus and you're committed to Jesus, you love and are committed to the church. Because we're his body. He died for the church. He's going to nurture the church. He's going to wash and purify the church. He's going to present the church as a purified bride to the Father one day. Like this, like this is his passion. And that's why this word devoted is so incredibly beautiful. We just hear this and go, oh man, they're going to ask. I know exactly what brand, I know the applications. Can we just leave? He's going to say, Go to church more, get in a small group, pray, worship. Yep. <laughs> What's the issue? We have to do some heart check here. Jesus is completely devoted to you, Jesus is completely devoted to his church. He won't hesitate 
to love her, to purify her, to serve her. But we treat the church, his bride, if you ever treat my bride the way we treat the bride of Christ, I'll love you. But like we treat the bride as if we have options. Meh. I'm so busy. Man, I know they got that prayer thing coming up this Thursday. I don't know. What excuse can I come with now? Thursday night football is over with. Oh, man. It's too far. Small group. I don't like small group. I don't like the people in my group. We don't resonate. He's devoted to the church. This group of people gave themselves to because of the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the message, because of the gospel. And let's look quickly at what they gave themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to God's word. Christianity is a word-based faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. God chose to reveal himself through words. God created everything with words. Scriptures even teach us in Proverbs to be very mindful of our words because the power of the tongue is life and death. Like the words we say can cause blessing and cursing and really cause some significant issues and also some significant blessings. They gave themselves to the word because one of the roots of the issues of sin in the garden was that they thought they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be the ones who decide between good and evil, right and wrong. And so ever since then, we, we are messed up in the mind. We think we always know what's right. We give ourselves to lies and idols. And that's why it says that we are supposed to have our minds renewed. In fact, when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you begin to hunger for things differently. Have you ever had those impressions inside of you like, man, I should be in God's word? Or even those moments when you haven't been in God's word or haven't heard a message preached in some time, like your soul or your spirit's like, I miss him. That's the Holy Spirit saying, this is for you. They devoted themselves to God's word. They gave themselves to teaching because they wanted to have their minds renewed. They wanted to see clearly. They wanted to understand the heart of God more. They devoted themselves to each other in fellowship, right? To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Total nerd alert. I apologize. I might ruin this for you. But every time I hear the word fellowship, I immediately think of Lord of the Rings. And I can't, I just got to like stop time out. But then once I get over that, the next level of fellowship that I think about is when I was a young kid going to a Lutheran church, my parents would always take me to the church basement where there'd be fellowship hour with really stale Folgers coffee that was brewed three months ago in a styrofoam cup that was probably recycled eating wafers that have been sitting there since Christmas. And sitting there also as a young kid going, I'm really hungry. Dad, can you stop talking? Can we leave? That was my concept of fellowship. In fact, all of us that really have a really poor understanding of fellowship because we oftentimes think of fellowship as just hanging out. Hey, we're fellowshipping after church. We're going to hang out together. Like that's part of it. We had a great church event, so therefore we're fellowshipping. That's part of it. And this word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, which was a common word in Greek language at that time. But the New Testament writers always connected this concept of fellowship with giving. 
with sacrifice, with generosity. And when it says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship, it means that it cost them something. It means that I'm going to give myself to you regardless of what you give back to me. Oh, that changes small groups right there. Instead of going to small group wondering if it's going to benefit them, they're already thinking ahead of time, how can I bless them? They took the words of Jesus seriously when they're like, don't consider myself higher than others. Be sober-minded. I'm going to think of others first. That's the idea of fellowship, and that's why we see what they did. They, they saw they were all together. They were united. This is this beautiful, uncommon unity, which is one of our values that they were there. But they also realized that all of my possessions, they're not mine. They're things that God has given me, so they're open-handed before the Lord. And if I see a brother or sister in need, yeah, I'll sell my car to help them out. Not a big deal, because what I have in Jesus is better than that car. And so they were moving in that direction. This is not Christian communism horrible thinking, because they still had rights of ownership. This was generosity. This is what they chose to do as a result of the gospel. That's fellowship. So think of fellowship this way. It's a group of people who covenant with each other. It's a group of people who are committed to each other because they understand that we're one in Christ. We're the body of Christ. And we understand that the world will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. How can the world see our love for one another if we're not devoted to each other? They were committed, devoted to God's word, to fellowship, but they were also devoted to God's presence. That's the breaking of bread. To which some of you are like, wait, I thought that was eating meals together. It is. So small group leaders, prepare meals every time. For real. Like, like this was the concept. Like any time they met together, they would do it over food. Part of it was their, their culture at that time. But this concept of breaking bread together wasn't just simply having a meal with each other. This phrase right here was talking about communion was talking about the Lord's Supper. So yes, every time they met with each other in large group, they did go to big church, they went to the temple together praising God, and they went to small group in their house churches because how else does 3,000 some people get together in small groups? So they did that, and every time they met, every time they met, they celebrated communion. They remembered Jesus. In fact, I've got a few passages I wanna share with you right up here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, there's this word here, participation. The blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ. That word participation is the word fellowship. So they understood that when they celebrated communion, they were in the presence of God. They were remembering Jesus in that time, they expected when they met with each other, either corporately or in small groups, they expected God to meet them. They came with that expectation that God would meet them and God would use them. The presence of God is a big deal in our story. 
It's a big deal. And that's one of the representations of the flame. The, the fire of God used to be in the temple, but now it's in all who believe. And they understood that, that when I meet in a small group, every single person in my small group who believes in Jesus, the very presence of God is in them. And so right now, the very presence of God is in this room. They had that expectation. When we come to church, we're expecting the presence of God because it's in us and it's in all who believe. When we come to church, what do we expect? When you go to a small group, what expectations do you have going into your small group? They came expecting to be in God's presence and expecting to be used by God. And what happens? You see this beautiful picture in verse 43. Awe came upon every soul. Awe corporately. Awe in small groups. Like, man, one, they like never tired of the gospel. Like, can you believe the Holy Spirit's in me? Can you believe that Jesus died for me? Can you believe that his body was broken, his blood was shed? Can you believe this? Awe. Signs and wonders were happening. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They prayed. They prayed because they believed that when they prayed, God moved. They prayed because that's, that was one of the main re- ways that God told them how to be dependent upon them. Prayer wasn't perfunctory. It wasn't a transi- transition in their services. It wasn't just something they do to say quickly so they can eat their meal in front of them, which I do all the time, guilty as charged. They prayed like it mattered. They're a praying church. You will always see them praying. There's always this rhythm. They prayed and then they went. They prayed and then they went. They prayed and then they went. They are a praying church. It is so hard to get the American church to pray. So hard. One of the lowest attended events that a church can put on. You want to guess what it is? Prayer night. I have, to, I have to ask myself the question, like, if I wasn't a pastor, would I go? Got to be fair. They devoted themselves to it. They gave themselves to it. Constantly praying. And what was the fruit of their devotion? What was the fruit of them giving themselves to God's word, to fellowship, God's presence and prayers? Jesus was on display. Jesus was on display. That's what happens when the church is devoted. Jesus is on display. Think about this. The church, large church and even our small groups, is a place where the outside world gets to see transformed lives. The church is a place where the outside world gets to see see how we love one another and the uncommon unity that we have. The church is then a place where the outside world sees our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That is not just a man-made thing, that it's a movement of God. The church is a place where the outside world sees our joy because they together receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And they were having favor with all the people. And what was the result? God moved in their midst, and day by day, people were being saved. And who's doing the witnessing here? I know it's tempting to go, ah, the apostles were doing it. They're the paid witnessers. There's not even a word. 
I heard that. My wife just made fun of me. Y'all see that? She just made fun of me. Man, you're going to be regretting sitting right up here right now. Yes, I'm not that smart. (laughs) Who did the witnessing here? It was the 3,000. Everybody who believed. I'm so convinced of that. They had the Holy Spirit. They were empowered to be his witnesses. Friends, when you have a group of people devoted so much to the message of Jesus and they're devoted so much to each other that they're willing to suffer for it, when they no longer live for themselves but they give themselves to each other daily, they're so joyful in Jesus that they don't need money, when they believe so strongly in God that their services are characterized simply by prayer and a sense of God's presence, people believe Jesus is on display. Jesus is contagious. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we making Jesus visible with our witness? How are we devoted to the church? Does this stuff so happen today? Yes. 100% yes. And I want to share with you a story of a couple in our church. It's a hard story. It's a beautiful story, and it's a good story of how this couple were devoted not only to each other as husband and wife, but they were devoted to Jesus, trusting the character of God no matter what came. They devoted themselves to a small group, and that small group was devoted to each other, and that small group was devoted to the church. This is a powerful story of how God uses people, how God uses a small group, how God uses a church who are devoted to him to reach a lost and dying world. So I want you to watch this video. God is good. He is good. He is good in the good times. He is good in the really hard times. He is good. Hello, my name is Karen Andrews. I'm Craig Andrews. We're the Andrews. (laughs) For those that don't know, last year I came down with COVID and was put in the hospital. I miss you. I was making up the bed and it was just like, gosh, it's so, that side of the bed's so cold and I just miss you being there. And I haven't had to use my mask because you're not there with your little iPad or your or your uh, your uh, laptop. So I put it away because I'm like, yeah, well, I don't have to use that right now, but I miss using it now <laughs> for sure. So, but anyway, praying for you today and I love you very much. Mwah. Talk to you later. Bye. Hi there. Here's my new Castigula. It was time. Um, I'm just struggling too much, but... Working through it. Um, thanks for the Marco Polos. And um, hopefully this buys me some time. All right, can I go? The doctors called Karen at midnight and said, we want to put Craig on the ventilator. If he doesn't get on the ventilator, he will be dead in 24 hours. And so she had to make a very difficult call in that moment, hearing me scream, no ventilator to say, yes, we're gonna do this. And then every day, waking up, thinking I was gonna potentially die that day, waking up and finding out that my kidneys were failing, 
and they were about to put me on dialysis. And she thought, that's the beginning of the end. For a solid month, they told me he would not survive. Even when the times were really hard, when I was really tired and when things didn't look good, God would bring me joy. Neighbors would come and, and bring me food. This church just came around me and prayed for me. And every single day of this journey, and I'm not kidding, every single day, my small group text me. They would text me prayers. They would text me uh, scripture. They would check on me. That brought joy in some really hard days. That helped me share Christ and that joy with some of my unbelieving neighbors who I so wanted to talk to about Christ and hadn't felt the right time or opportunity and this just opened it wide open. So many people were praying and our, my small group just prayed all the time and it led to our church and then they told people and it got to where we had over a thousand people all over the country praying for Craig and the prayers of God people gave me hope. I had people come up to me and say, Karen, I can't explain it. It was in a dream or it was in their prayer time um, or it was, um, and they said, God just let me know that Craig was going to be okay. And we started to see things turn, and I just, I couldn't believe it. This was not supposed to happen, and we've been told by so many people, you're not supposed to be here, this shouldn't have happened, this is, this is a miracle, and we know it is. We didn't deserve it, that it more than anybody else, but God did this for us. Jesus Christ has given us a powerful story and has touched more lives than I could imagine. A couple days after I went on the ventilator, she started journaling and people started reading it and started sharing it and started spreading to people we've never met, never heard of, don't even know, but spread to some lives that we do know. I was reconnecting with a group of friends and one of them came up to us, said, guys, I want to talk to you. I don't know if you know this, but I used to be a pastor. And 10 years ago, I left the ministry and I kind of walked away from God. But Karen, your journal has really challenged me. The hardest thing you did was keeping the focus on the goodness of God. And it's there every day. That Even was, the day my kidneys were failing. Yeah. I just felt this overwhelming sense of I don't want people to think God's not good, you know? And it just meant everything in the world to me for them to know whether or not he survived or God took him home, that God was good. He is good when you go through the deepest valley and uh, he is good when you are far from him. He is good when you mess things up. He is good when you come back to Him. He is good in your sorrow. He is good in your joy. He is so trustworthy and um, He's so good. Craig and Karen, thank you for allowing us to share your story in your journey. And I understand that 
that can stir up all sorts of emotions because some of you might be feeling a sense of justice or injustice because maybe you even prayed for people that you personally know who died of COVID and asking the question why God didn't work in that. The thing that I appreciated about this story with Craig and Karen, and, and I can still show you texts that Craig and I were given to each other when he was in the hospital and even Karen throughout the time was they were devoted to Jesus come what may. And they knew and they left that in God's hands. And the small group knew that. And they were devoted to each other like come what may, we're going to weep with you, we'll rejoice with you, we'll walk with you, we'll care for you, we'll give for you because they knew it was all reflected in Jesus. And we don't fully understand why God did what God did but God does what he does, and it's whatever he does is always good. And he used the story to reach many people for Jesus in ways that we don't even know. There's something beautiful about a church that is devoted. I mean, this early church, we're going to see this real soon. How they lost their lives for believing in Jesus. How homes and things were taken from them because they believed in Jesus. Even how we would see in the early church days when the great plague hit Rome, that the Christians were the ones out in the streets giving their lives to help and serve and nurse those who are struggling and dying from the plague, putting their own lives in the line. That's devotion. That's not consumerism. They were captivated by Jesus. They devoted themselves to God's word. They devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to God's presence and to prayer. So friends, we need to check our hearts. If we are committed to Jesus, we ought to be committed to the church because it's through the church that Jesus wants to use us to be his witness because that's how he sees, that's how the world sees the beauty of Jesus. So yes, friends, that means attending. Of course it does. It means making it a priority. Yes, that means when we do prayer nights, you should come. That means that when we challenge you to pray for our lost friends and loved ones, yes. When we say join a small group, yes. When we say be generous, yes. It's not for us, it's not to pattern numbers, it's not for us as Austin Oaks Church to look at, no, 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 no. It's for those who don't know Jesus, to see Jesus. So wherever you're at, this is just a great time for us to wrestle with the goodness of God. Has he been good to you? Do you see how devoted he is to you? And it's a great time for us to wrestle with our own hearts and how we see the church. You know where you're at, you know your struggles, and I trust the Holy Spirit to work inside of you. Lord, I thank you for your word. And God, I ask that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and help us to see what could be. And I thank you that this church is a good example and it is a good reflection of what this type of devotion looks like. We're thankful for what you did through the Andrews. We're thankful for what you've done through multiple lives here. God, we're thankful for what you are doing here, but God, we want more. We know there's more. 
And God, we want you to use us as a church for your good, for, for your glory, for our good. So God, I just pray that your spirit would do the convicting, convict us of sin, convict us of our selfishness, our own consumer mindsets, our own agendas, our own comforts. And God, realign them up with your purposes. And Lord, we know that if you do that, you're doing it for our good. It's not to shame us. It's not to guilt us. It's to free us. Lord, we do pray for the names that we've been praying for, over 700 names of people who don't know Jesus. God, we ask that they would see you. They would call upon your name, repent, and be baptized. We pray this in Christ's name.